Hello and welcome to What's the Tease. Today I am incredibly honored and delighted to bring you my next guest. She is on a mission to educate, stimulate and liberate the masses. Please welcome <laughs> to the What's the Tease stage, Goddess Brickhouse. Thank you for joining hey, us today, Goddess. Hey. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay! Nobody's more excited than we are. Your it fans. It finally happened. It finally <laughs> happened. It's been way too long. I'm so excited. You got a lot of things going on, which is like really amazing, mm-hmm. which obviously makes your time very sought after um but also you have to know mm. when you got time and energy to throw towards something so thank you thank mm. you thank mm. you mm, absolutely um today i believe you're coming to us from in my bed in seattle washington mm-hmm. and what are we wearing in our bed <laughs> i am wearing my birthday suit mm. <laughs> beautiful chocolate skin oh yeah um you were in fact born and raised in the pacific northwest right I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that you've spoken about this often, but I just kind of wanted to catch a, an understanding of it from my perspective. So you were raised Southern Baptist, and you've been pretty open mm-hmm. about the religious cult that you found yourself in during your formative years up until early mm-hmm. adulthood. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so what did your background in the performing arts look like growing up in this environment? I tell everyone my first gig was um, I played the baby Jesus in the, um, what's it called? I've been out of it for so long. The nativity story. Mm-hmm. So um, that first, my first gig was being the baby Jesus. I was in the little manger <laughs> and as a baby. And then, you know, lots of, you know, Christian themed plays and Christian themed like independent films and, like lots of just just Christian based things, mm-hmm. um, a lot of Christian theater as I grew up. Then yeah, I started working for Christian organizations, uh, teaching and working with youth. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of um, a lot of theatrics, <laughs> theatrical moments during that time. And so yeah, it was just a lot of Christian based theater essentially. And then I started uh, venturing off into like uh, outside of the Christian world, just more like commercial work, mm-hmm. uh, small like local commercials and things like that, and small theater plays and local theater plays and things like that. But yeah, the beginning was all Christian-based theater. Okay. Just out of interest, did your version of the baby Jesus have any dialogue? <laughs> no. I was just very cute and was not able to speak at that time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So you're like one of those performers, you're literally like, since the womb, you've yeah. been performing. Yes, since the womb, yes, I've been performing. And my mom, uh, my biological mom was also very theatrical. So mm-hmm. I was also in the womb, literally, just still doing things. <laughs> literally in the womb and on stage. Mm-hmm, yeah. Amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. I've also heard you tell the story of parking in the lot of a local strip club called Deja Vu, wanting to go mm-hmm. into audition, but never actually doing so. So what was yeah. your knowledge uh-huh. of like that industry 
at that time? And then subsequently, how has that changed for you? Uh, my knowledge of the industry at that time was very minimal. I just knew that I was I was called towards stripping. I was like, oh, I just really want to do it. I just thought that it would be fun and it would feel liberating. It would feel good. Mm-hmm. And I loved to entertain and I loved everything about sensuality and sexuality. But I felt like that was not allowed. I wasn't allowed to enjoy those things. And, I, and it really bothered me because I didn't see how that was separate from God or separate from divinity and so I I was really struggling with it because I I knew that I wanted to but I knew it would be a problem for those that I cared about and so I would just go park in the parking lot or just be in the parking lot and then I'd be like I'm gonna go in I'm gonna go in you know and still not going (laughs) and then eventually I did end up working there like way like way down the line um but yeah (laughs) it was it was uh it was it was really it was really silly (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just kind of interesting to me because when I think religious cults, I'm thinking of living in, I think of living a somewhat sheltered life. So I'm curious, like, Mm -hmm. you know, when you gained your freedom, what were some of your influences when finally getting to express yourself through performance? But also, like, you know, at that time when I'm imagining in my my mind is going like mm-hmm. um, you're being indoctrinated in a certain way, you know? So like mm-hmm. that means Absolutely. you're only being allowed access to certain information and media. Right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, where did you find, where did you take influence from that spoke to that feeling of yours? I think that the, at least in America, the Christian black church, along with some other popular churches, they are not always viewed as cults. Because there is a sense, a false sense of freedom attached to them, right? People think that they're in them and they still have like free will, but they're not really aware of how much indoctrination is happening, how much brainwashing is happening. And um, it was very, very intense and very severe. And so I think that, uh, yeah, they're allowed to get away with a bunch of other things. And I am waiting for the day for the for the Black Christian Church to be added to these documentaries about major cults because it's not always out in the woods somewhere where you can't read or write or, like, look at anything else. And it can also be very much in right there in your city, very much with, like, all the lights and the sounds and the good music and the, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's not this, it's not, uh, cults can look multiple ways. And I think mm-hmm. that is how this cult in particular is able to gather so many people is because they don't look like, what people assume a cult will look like, just like, you know, all those other really popular cults um, mm-hmm. that now, you know, all the, all the, the celebrities were into, but then they realized, you know, later on it was a cult, you know, it's, it's not going yeah, to yeah. look like what we've been taught. It looks like. So I just want to name that, but I have always been curious and I've always asked questions and I would get in trouble all of the time for asking questions because there were things that just didn't make sense to me. And I'd be like, well, why can't we do that? Or why would God be upset with that? Or why would God care about that? You know, or like, well, this doesn't make sense or this doesn't add up or this says this, but then this says this, isn't that contradictory in the Mm -hmm. same book? That doesn't make sense to me. You know? So I was told that I, you know, had the spirit of Jezebel and like all these other (laughs) weird things, you know, because I, because I just, I was very curious and I'm like, it's so interesting that a woman with questions all of a sudden is deemed some kind of like threat to the ministry, Mm -hmm. which I think is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I've just always been curious. And so because I was curious, even though I knew what I was indoctrinated with, I was always researching things. I was always 
looking on the internet or looking at books or looking at things in the library, um, looking at things in bookstores. I would just go into other sections Mm -hmm. outside of the religious section. I would go into metaphysical sections and just other, other, um, like other school of thought section to just see what was going on and what other people were talking about and what other people were reading, what other people were digesting, because I knew that there had to be more truths out there other than the truth that I was given. And um, I was grateful. I was grateful that I was, I had the courage to do that because of course, yeah, I was taught that we shouldn't take in any other information um, outside of the Bible, but I knew that there was more information out there that I needed and I wanted and I went after it. More power to you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for following on what you believe to be true inside of you. Mm-hmm. It was post this, as you put it, divorce from your husband and also um, mm-hmm. your religion that burlesque came into your life. What was your expectations upon being introduced to the art form? Mm-hmm. I had no expectations. I was just excited to do something that felt free. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the hell I was getting into. I just, I was already performing, you know, like I said, I had already done like theater and had done some commercial work and things like that. And I just, yeah, I was like, I already love performing. So let me just see what happens. You know, I'm, I love to dance. I love to sing. I love to move. I love to act. You know, like this is just another added layer. I knew that I loved sensuality and sexuality. And I knew that I no longer had to be worried about what my expression of that looked like because I was no longer being held to those same beliefs and systems. And Mm -hmm. so now that I was free, I was able to explore what I wanted. And um, I'm so grateful for the people in my life who continue to love me through that process. And, um, you know, my, my, I like to call my husband once upon a time. Um, He was very, very like loving and supportive. And he just wanted me to go and find what made me happy. Mm-hmm. He never tried to discourage me. He never tried to tell me that that wasn't right or I was going to go to hell or I was wrong. He always told me that God loved me no matter what and that I should just be happy. Mm. And I'm so grateful for that encouragement. And I'm so grateful for my friends who encouraged me. Um, I lost a lot of friends and family during that process, but I also gained so many. And so I just went into it with eyes wide open, like, hey, whatever's going to be is going to be. I pretty much felt like I had lost everything already, you know? So what's the worst that could happen? You know, like, mm-hmm. let me just go in and see what happens. Let me just try something new. So, yeah, it felt very familiar. And I felt very much at home. And uh, I I couldn't go back once I experienced that level of joy and freedom and excitement. And I was around people who felt more like home to me, more people who were free thinkers and free movers. And, yeah, I just, I knew that I was home. Mm-hmm. So when, like, somebody was just like, a friend was like, come on, we're going to go to this burlesque class. Did you have yeah. any inclination time, as like, to what that was going to like be about? Yeah, so I knew, yeah, I had heard of burlesque, right? So I, I knew I knew stripping was involved. Mm. I just thought it was like stripping in theater. And I was like, let's go. Like, this is great. <laughs> and so, yeah, my best friend was in, heard about this show with uh, Dr. Ginger Snaps. Mm-hmm. And shout out to Dr. Ginger Snaps. You're amazing. Um, and she was like, you know, it's going to be like all black and brown or like majority black and brown show. You know, do you want to try this with me? And I said, fuck it. Why not? Let's go. You know, like, yeah, I want to try it. And Dr. Ginger Snaps like taught us how to make pasties and talk to us about the fundamental, you know, um, aspects of burlesque and just was very loving and kind. And 
you know, very supportive of us, of our exploration. And it just, it just made such a beautiful experience. And that was our first show. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I had no idea how much I needed it until I got it, until I did it. You know, I didn't know how much I was holding on to or how much shame and guilt I was holding on to about my body and about my expression until I was able to, to try it on in a different way. Mm. So it just, it blew my mind and it continues to blow my mind. Right. It's like, it's a, it's a never ending evolution. I feel like, and that's what I love about sex work in general is that we can operate and move in so many different spaces and the sex, uh, the sex worker that I am today is completely different but also still some of the same as the sex worker I was yesterday. And I'm, you know, the sex worker I am, you know, five years from now is going to be on another journey. And I love that. I love that we can continue to grow and change as our relationship to our body and our relationship to our, our sex changes. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm excited about the evolution. Yeah. That is the perspective of an artist is that it's ever changing. So besides yeah. the song, Brick House by the Commodores, whose lyrics certainly epitomize parts of your persona. Is there something Absolutely. else that inspired uh, your chosen name? Oh, yeah, it's a spiritual name. So it actually, like, the fact that it matches what I look like on the outside is, like, that's cute and convenient. Like, that's wonderful. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but it actually speaks to my spiritual continence. It speaks to the fact that I am not easily torn down, that I am spiritually sound. I'm spiritually solid and I am unshakable and unmovable and I'm anchored. So, yeah. I love that. You debuted at one of Ginger Snaps's um, productions, mm, yes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, also for those in the audience that don't know, Ginger Snaps is one of the pioneers of black and brown burlesque um, in Seattle. Yeah. So how mm-hmm. did being a part of their production inform how you saw Brick House existing in the burlesque landscape? I believe, like, because Dr. Ginger Snaps, the show that she did was black and brown-centered. And then I went out into the Seattle burlesque scene, and it was not a black and brown-centered space. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, I started off in a black and brown-centered space. That is where I want to remain. You know, I want to have more of that. And so I would go and I would work with these other productions and I had fun and I enjoyed myself, but there would always be like, you know, a black person in the audience who would come up to me afterwards and they usually would have tears in their eyes and they would just be so excited to see me and talk to me about how they've never seen anyone that looks like them on stage in this particular setting. And it was such a big thing. Every time I saw another person of color, they were just so excited to see me. And I was like, I love that we're excited to see one another, but this shouldn't be a rare thing. It shouldn't be a rare Mm. occasion. And so I just decided I'm going to start producing my own shows because I want, I want this to be an experience that we have all of the time. I want black and brown folks to be able to see themselves on stage and feel celebrated and feel loved and feel sexy and feel seen and feel cared for and represented. And I knew that the only way to do that was to create it myself because waiting for white folks to do it, that, that's never worked. So mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I was like, I'm going to continue the mission. So I did. And I believe that it was when Boom Boom LaRue put out a call for new producers. This is when you yep. got your first mm-hmm. opportunity to develop a show. Shout out to Boom Boom LaRue, who literally such a visionary and, um, you know, she didn't know who the fuck I was, right? Like, mm-hmm. I just like... <laughs> 
I, but I just put it out there. I, I applied and I said, I just have this concept. I have this idea and I really think it'll work. And she believed in me and it was sold out. It was great. It was great. When somebody in the community does something like that, was there like kind of any mentorship for you in how to, you know, do a production so that you weren't coming in like completely green? No. So, I mean, yes, there, I think there is mentorship for folks, but I didn't personally have a bunch of mentorship. Of course, I think Boom Boom was available to like love me and coach me on things that I might've had questions about. Um, But I had already done production work in theater before I came into Willis. So I went with what I already knew and then just continued to add on from there. So um, yeah, I, I learned from watching. I also was a panty boss or a um, stage kitten or a stage sweetheart mm-hmm. for many years before I started producing. So I learned a bunch of things about producing burlesque shows by being a sweetheart for Center St. Burlesque, which is a, a legendary burlesque troupe here in Seattle, Washington. I, you know, set up and tore down their show every time mm-hmm. and that you learn a lot of the ins and outs of production when you are the person making sure that all the things happen. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I, I learned a lot of things on the job, just volunteering and working and uh, for other productions. So I just used the the information that I had. But of course, yeah, Boom Boom was definitely loving and um, definitely offered her guidance anytime that I requested. Awesome. From your first production, mm-hmm. The Heartbreak Hotel, which evolved into The Sugar Shack, which is mm-hmm. an all POC burlesque review occurring every second Sunday at Theodore of Jackson. As a producer, mm-hmm. how do you perceive the impact of burlesque and a show of this nature within your community? I think the impact is huge. You know, um, we really started a movement around tipping here that was not happening before Sugar Shack, not in the way that it's happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, before Sugar Shack, everyone was afraid for their burlesque show to look like it was a strip show. Or I shouldn't say everyone was afraid, but it, that's what it came across as to me is that people were people were afraid of that line. They wanted yeah. to make sure they were like that tentative about it. There, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I just I didn't believe in that. I thought, why the fuck not? Like you know, mm-hmm. if we're up here stripping, throw us some goddamn dollars. Like let's <laughs> go, you know. Um, and so yeah, so I started. I really, really trained my audience to understand that this is a strip show. And that you will celebrate um, vocally and monetarily. <laughs> and um, yeah, you're here to worship. You're here to worship these deities that are on stage. And just like any other religious organization, usually when you're worshiping your deities, you bring offerings. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, this is this is a church and you're going to start bringing offerings. And people have done that. And now burlesque shows in Seattle have started to copy that. And so now more and more shows here have open tipping mm-hmm. and you know people can just throw the dollars on stage or give the dollars to the um, burlesque performer and there's some there's some you know people who still are not comfortable with that and still don't think that's okay or still don't think that's a good practice or you know and that's fine that's totally fine I think people should do what feels good for them but what feels good for me is money thrown on my beautiful naked body mm-hmm. 
Yes. I love rolling around on a stage full of money. Like, yes, absolutely. Turns me on. Gets me going. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's one of the most pivotal things mm-hmm. um, is really getting the tipping culture going in burlesque here in Seattle, Washington. A lot of people were not, they did not have the same model. Sometimes they would like, you know, put around buckets or things like that where people could you know, eventually put in something at the end of the show or Mm -hmm. maybe in between acts, but the actively like throwing dollars like you are at a strip club, that was not happening prior to Sugar Shack. Um, So I'm really, really proud that that is the, that is the mark that we made and that other folks are going out there and doing the same thing. Also, there were no other all people of color monthly reviews happening Mm -hmm. in the Pacific Northwest when I started Sugar Shack. And so now We've got lots of all POC reviews happening, and that makes me so excited because I said I never wanted to be the only one. Mm -hmm. I want more people to do this, you know? Um, I want more people to feel empowered to do this. I want more people to feel empowered to, like, do their thing. And now we have, yeah, just so many things. We have all Asian reviews that are happening in the city. We have more Black, and we have all Latinx reviews that are happening in the city. Like, we've got it going, like... Black and brown folks ain't playing here about burlesque in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest, and I, I love that. I'm so excited about it. We've got festivals now. You know, we, we've it's, it's growing, and I'm so grateful for that. At this juncture, I just want to say congratulations to you and also your co-producer, Cindela Rosa, because <laughs> I believe Sugar yes, Shack is coming up on its 10-year anniversary. Oh, yes, yeah, Cindela Rosa. I want to I wanna give a special shout-out to Cindela Rosa, Boom Boom LaRue, Loa de Boom Boom, Dr. Ginger Snaps. These folks really invested in me and took their time to love on me and take care of me um, while I was figuring out what the hell I was doing with Shirk Shack. You know, I was doing so much by myself mm-hmm. for so long. And these folks just came along and were like, hey, we're going to help you because we see what you're doing, but you could be doing it better, you know, which is true, right? I can't do everything. I am a visionary. I am great at that. I I can see beyond this world. And I love that about myself. But I need some people who can actually see in this world and handle some of those intricate things Mm -hmm. (laughs) that are not necessarily in my eyesight or in my line of, you know, my uh, my line of view. So I love that some folks with some different brains came around to be like, hey, we got you. We see you flying. We want to help you get there. So, yeah, um, Cindy La Rosa has been a lifesaver to me and I am forever grateful to her and love her. And I love that she she saw me and she sees me and she knows how to work with me in the way that my brain works. We have what I feel like is a very beautiful marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm yeah, I'm just grateful for her. I told her one day I'm going to have enough money for her to just run my whole life um, <laughs> and I will be a much more successful and organized person once that happens. <laughs> amazing i mean in these 10 years of you doing sugar shack from your vision that you had for it at the beginning um to what it is now what kind of evolution has that gone through and what do you want for it for the future Mm -hmm. oh what i want for it for the future i want bigger stages i want live music I want even a bigger marketplace. Something that we've added um, to Sugar Shack is we have a live marketplace in the back and it's all black and brown vendors. Um, and so people get to come to Sugar Shack and not only experience black and brown people on stage, but they also get to patronize their businesses um, in the marketplace. Yes. And yes. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, my goal would be able to have a brick and mortar space that is black and brown owned 
and just continue to keep the dollars in our community, right? I would love to have, yeah, a black and brown owned space. I would love to have more vendors. I would love to have more partnerships with black and brown businesses and venues and um, yeah, just continue to grow the community. I would love it to be an epicenter for all types of things. I would love to have, uh, we recently started partnering with Surge Reproductive Justice. So they come and they're one of the sponsors of the events and they come and share information about reproductive rights and healthcare and things like that. So just continuing to build on the community to give folks an access point where they can come, they can be stimulated, they can be educated, and they can be liberated. That's mm-hmm. the goal. Mm-hmm. But even bigger and better, you know, every time. there, It's limitless. Like, I, I don't even know how far it can go. Does that make sense? Like, it's oh, 100%. so big it's infinite. I can't even articulate. Yeah, it can go further and further and further and further. I, I don't love that. about that. I love that. I love your energy. I believe that Brick House is infinite. <laughs> You've often referred to burlesque as a vehicle or channel through which Absolutely. you do your work. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a bucket yeah. list or list of goals of what you'd like to do or see within the burlesque industry and nightlife entertainment? Mm. I would like to see, well, you know, it's funny because me personally, the way that I view burlesque, is very different than the way other folks view burlesque. So when I think about my goals and what I want, I don't necessarily think about it through the burlesque lens. I think about it through just my community-oriented lens. Mm-hmm. So what I want is more um, more conversations around our bodies and the things that we go through and um, the journeys that we go through in order to get to the stage. Mm-hmm. You know, I want more conversations around sexual healing and um body autonomy and creating you know liberation for oneself and and freedom and you know those things so that can come through burlesque or that can come through other things but burlesque is a real sexy vehicle to bring it through so Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm good with that you know um but yeah a lot of my workshops that i do are around loving yourself loving your body working through your sexual trauma, sexual healing, acknowledging your sexual healing, acknowledging acknowledging your trauma and being okay with that also being a part of your story, including in burlesque. You know, I don't think that burlesque always has to be happy, happy, joy, joy. Mm -hmm. A lot of my burlesque pieces, I have burlesque pieces on alcoholism, on childhood sexual abuse, on divorce, on, you know, all kinds of things. Because I think it's really important to tell our full stories. You know, I I think that the person that you see on stage when you see all of that beautiful sexiness, that person exists because of all this other work that I continue to do. And so I don't want to hide that work in the shadows. I want to bring that work to the light as well because that work is very important. The reason why you are moved by me when you see me on stage is because of all that work that I do in the shadows. And so I'm not ashamed of that. I'm a proud survivor. I love myself. I love my journey. Um, And I'm going to speak about it because it's mine and I have the right to and I have the joy of um, letting other survivors know that we are we are who we say we are. We are who we decide we are. We are not what has happened to us. And so I'm going to continue to always spread that message. And I and I hope that those who are comfortable um, with sharing more about their personal journeys, we'll do that as well. But if they don't, I'm still doing it. <laughs> That's incredible work that you're doing. Like South Africa, for instance, is because of, I think, our sorted political history. Like we are quite a conservative 
nation in certain ways mm-hmm. for us having burlesque in this country for the past more than a decade now that's us engaging with our community trying to you know get them to like talk about the things that they formerly viewed as taboo mm-hmm. and so i understand the challenges of speaking to a community of people that may not necessarily understand that this art form is also about you and can be like for you to kind of see it through a different lens what challenges have you experienced from your community for instance you know we in the continent of africa and maybe people's understanding of what burlesque is is generally like a westernized European thing. It's like kind of like a hard sell sometimes for people to come on board and to do it mm-hmm. um, or to participate. Mm-hmm. But when they do come, and I think also because of the people who are performing, you know, us as producers also are a little bit more experienced and more versed in what we are doing and putting out there. You know, we're able to tell many stories. So perhaps the subject matter is becoming more sort of tangible for the audience. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's resonating for them in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not just Mm -hmm. always telling the story of feathers and rhinestones. But at the same time, like sometimes like feathers and rhinestones are beautiful to look at, you know, and I'm going to tell you something else while you look Mm -hmm. at the thing. (laughs) Um, Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I was just kind of wondering, like, how has your community come along in these 10 years of you producing the Sugar Shack? You know, was it like a hard sell to them in the beginning where they're like, mm, I don't know if this is so much about brown sell. folks, it's you know? It's still a hard sell. Yeah. It is still a hard sell. They're, um, the Seattle black community and just the black community in general still has a lot of growing to do around their understandings of gender sexuality, sexual expression, all of those things. Mm. I think because we are in this world, you and I, um, we're able to live in a very beautiful, liberated bubble in some ways, Mm -hmm. but the rest of the world is still catching up to what we know and what we've experienced. And so that's no different here in Seattle, Washington. I know that people believe the Pacific Northwest is just oh so liberal, yeah, (laughs) which is hilarious to me um, because it's, I like to call it faux liberal. You know, it's like, it's Mm -hmm. cute, right? It it has the (laughs) indications of a, of of a liberated space. Mm -hmm. But if you just look a little bit closer, you'll definitely see that, that it's not as liberated as what people like to make it look or appear as. So yeah, there's still a lot of selling to do, you know, um, there are some black folks who feel like I am setting us back, who feel like I am a stain on our community, who feel like what I'm doing is inappropriate and wrong and a bad look. They do not feel like it is a part of the movement. Hmm. Um, And when I say the movement, I mean like the black liberation movement, which Mm -hmm. I feel like it is not only a part of, but is a leader in the black liberation movement. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of people do not feel that way. A lot of people feel like it is um, divisive or, um, you know, not moving our people forward, which I think is just really unfortunate and sad that they feel that way. But I'm not going to sit up here and spend my time worried about it. You know, like yeah. at the end of the day, my space is open for those who understand and want to know more. But if you do not want to understand, you do not want to know more, then I wish you well on your way anyway. That's okay. But yeah, when I first started, I had flyers up and it was like my beautiful black ass, you know, mm-hmm. and people would tear it down. People would tear that stuff down. People would email and message and, you know, just say all these terrible things about, how racist we are we were for having an all people of color show and how messed up it was and how nasty it was and how gross it was and people still will comment 
under flyers and posters on on my page or on other people's pages when they post about me and saying how nasty and disgusting and gross and you know just all these words because they don't understand or don't want to see the beauty in it and that's you know that's their loss but it is still a hard sell it is still you know I am fortunate and I'm happy that we do have such a loving community that has surrounded us but there is still a there's still the broader community the larger community who still doesn't quite get it yet and, you know, my hope is that one day they will, but we're going to keep rocking even if they don't. Yeah, I definitely think that that's one thing I've learned as I've grown sort of as a producer and working in burlesque is to care less about the haters. Um, yeah, Because exactly. they're going to do what they're going to do. And I'm like, I'm not I'm not coming into your space disrupting. Well, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't have to come into your space to disrupt. You yeah, know, I can just exactly. exist in my space mm-hmm. and disrupt. So exactly. Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. you know, to focus one's energy on more on what you're trying to do, like what your goal is and what and to, you know, like to kind of give that energy to support your vision is sort of more productive mm-hmm. than like always feeling like you need to put out those kinds of fires that actually like don't mean anything. Yeah, no, I'm, I can't waste my energy there. It's a, you know, it takes away from the energy that I can give to my people who are ready. I saw this quote on Instagram mm-hmm. that was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight with people that Harriet would have shot, you know? And I really <laughs> understand that when they're saying that, they're talking about Harriet Tubman, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the story is like, you know, if you were like, you know, you got scared or you weren't trying to, you know, operate, within the movement the way that she needed you to, she wasn't about to play with you. That's what I'm doing. I'm not about to argue with you. I'm about to just leave you where you at. <laughs> like, that's okay. <laughs> everybody doesn't need to come. You know what I mean? Like, of yes. course, what I love for everybody to come, yes. that is, of course, the dream, right? Yes. If you don't want to come, you're not about to get me killed because you don't want to come, right? You're not about to, I'm not about, you're not about to. Not dragging your ass. My movement. Yeah, I'm not yes. doing that. You're dead weight. No, yeah. thank you. <laughs> I'm good on that. But I do want to say, you know, um, you know, a very real experience that I'm having right now is that I am being cyberstalked and harassed and people are very upset about who I decide to live my life as. The fact that I am polyamorous, the fact that I am openly queer, the fact that I am openly a sex worker, you know, the shows that I do, the type of workshops that I do, the type of events that I do, because I also do sex educational spaces and play spaces and, Mm -hmm. and play parties. And people are very upset about that. So I've been being actively stalked for almost three years now. And most of it is online, but some of it has been in person where they have damaged vehicles of not only me, but romantic partners of mine. They have, you know, harassed and sent harassing emails and messages and created fake Instagram accounts and, you know, tried to, you know, they've just Mm. really tried to do a lot of terrible things. And that is, that is a part of what's happening because I'm choosing to live the life that I'm living. Right. Mm. And so I want to just speak very directly to that because I think that people see the glitter and the sparkles and the fun and then mm. you're like, Oh, you know, people love you, you know, when they see, it's like, they see celebrity. Right. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, that's so fun. But there is a very, very hard side to this, to this freedom. There is a very high price that I pay. And, um, you know, I'm, just graduated from an eight-week self-defense class that was amazing. Shout out to Dr. Marziz who taught that <laughs> self-defense uh, class to me. And you know, like I'm about to start going and getting trained, like in weapons and things like that, and mm-hmm. just learning how to protect myself more. I also have some folks working with me, you know, helping me with my cybersecurity and things like that. So shout mm-hmm. out to those folks. Like, I really appreciate the love of my community that's starting to surround me and help me protect myself even better because 
as I continue to grow and as this movement continues to grow, unfortunately, the the haters are, are starting to grow. Mm. And so I'm I'm not in this blindly. Like, you know, I see that everybody is not coming along. And it's not that just people aren't coming along. People do want to kill me for being this, right? Mm. It's not just the people don't like it. People want to stop it. People want to snuff me out, snuff it out, right? Mm-hmm. They want to snuff mm-hmm. out the movement in general. And so that is a very real experience that's happening to me. And I still ain't going to stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm still not going to stop. And even if somehow, some way, something were to happen to me, I'm still not going to stop from another realm. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm still going to be fucking shit up from another plane. This energy that I exude and I exist in is limitless, is bulletproof. It is um, eternal mm-hmm. and ethereal. And so just like there was someone before me, there'll be someone after me and our energy will continue to show up in whatever way we need to. And I just want to make sure that other people who could be experiencing that, because I know that a lot of times people in the sex industry don't want to talk about some of the harder things that we have to deal with because it kind of fits into that stereotype of like people being like, well, see, that's why you shouldn't do it. That's Mm -hmm, why it's mm -hmm. wrong. If you were, you know, if you weren't doing it, you wouldn't be getting that. And I just want to say that that's not true. That, um, you know, every major leader of a movement deals with these kinds of things, right? If you're doing it and you're doing it well, there's going to be somebody who wants to take you out, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm amongst great company, you know, I'm amongst great company, unfortunately and fortunately. And so I am calling on my ancestors and their guidance to protect me as I continue to grow. And um, I just want to encourage other folks, but especially um, women of color who are experiencing that. It's like, you know, don't be afraid to say something Don't be afraid to call out to your friends and your family and let them know what's happening because it can be very lonely and very scary dealing with that type of harassment by yourself. (laughs) You've got your army out here, you know, as you said, they already Mm -hmm. like stepped up to assist in any way. We are Mm -hmm. here for all the work that you do because it is important. The work is so big and so important that it'll exist when we're not here neither because that's what's mm-hmm. going to take over the world is the liberation. That is the, yeah. that's how the Absolutely. world will survive is by changing these mindsets. Absolutely. So Brick, in addition to uh, performing and producing burlesque, we'd mentioned that you host a variety of workshop workshops as mm-hmm. an erotic entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and that's what's yeah. getting everybody's panties in a twist. So what was the motivation behind your most recent endeavor, acquiring a trailer out of which to operate your bikini barista stand? And what is your vision oh for the future gosh, of this yeah. business? So let's start with where it started. The mm-hmm. pandemic was happening, is happening, and here in the States. And I wanted an opportunity for sex workers to be able to still continue to work no matter what was happening in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so food-based businesses, you know, essential businesses were still allowed to operate. And um, sex workers, you know, we have tons of skills. And so I wanted a business where you could still be yourself and you can still make what's quote-unquote called like legitimate money. Because unfortunately, something that happens is that sex workers often have a hard time getting financing Mm-hmm. Um, getting housing, getting anything to the bank because we don't have quote unquote legitimate forms of income. And so it to me made sense to create a line of legitimate income for sex workers during this time and just in general so that 
whatever you need, if you need a certain type of paperwork so that you can get that apartment or you can get that loan, you have something that says, hey, look, I do legitimate work. That's what y'all need to hear, right? That's what y'all need to see. Here is a regular, regular job where I do this thing that makes y'all feel better about who I am in the world, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I wanted a place where sex workers could still be free to take care of themselves in the ways that feel good to them um, and also be able to have some type of paperwork that allowed them to get other resources that they need and want in, in order to live a, um, a wonderful life. Yeah. And so that's where that desire came from. Also, uh, Seattle is really big on coffee. So it also just made sense. And Seattle's really big on bikini barista stands. But unfortunately, the majority of the bikini barista stands are very white, thin, able-bodied, cisgendered folks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but when I want to go around and see a bikini barista, I want to see some meat. Mm. I want to see some color. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I want to see different types of humans. And, yeah, yeah. Um, like and, how you get you know, different kinds like of coffee. Shows. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you get different. I want all the flavors. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the end of the day, my continued goal is to stimulate, educate, and liberate. Right. And so this seemed like another leg of that. That now that I was able to continue that mission, um, because what I need and what I want is sustainable life right I want ease in life I want I want things that other folks want you know stability in housing stability and income stability Mm -hmm. in care and those things are much more accessible when you have what the banks or other you know people in power see as legitimate income and so Creating a bikini barista business is another way for sex workers to still engage in the work that they love while also having the cloak of legitimacy. It's important to me that my folks have access to whatever they need. And so if having a legitimate job and not because sex work is not legitimate, but because other folks don't see it as legitimate is the reason why I'm using that term. If having a legitimate job on paper will allow folks to have access to the things that make their lives better, then that's what I want for my people. Mm-hmm. And so for folks who who can do that, let's do it, right? It's going to be one of those things that no matter what happens, people always going to want coffee. People always going to want snacks. People always going to need food, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be so many things, right? I can see it as a job training opportunity for folks who may want to try on a different leg of sex work, right? Maybe they're like, hey, I've done this sex work and I want to try this type of sex work or um, they're in between or they want to, you know, like explore or whatever, whatever the case is. I want it to be a um, a starting ground for folks to, to do something that they want to do or be able to exist as they are while also trying, trying on something different and um, being able to be in, occupy more than one space at the same time. Um, I believe that it'll also be a great opportunity for folks who have online work. You know, I have an OnlyFans and other stuff like that. So if you're all dressed up and cute and sexy at the Bikini Barista stand, guess what? If there's not any clients, guess what you're doing? Making content, right? Like, you know, so it's like it's going to be an opportunity for folks to continue to do the work that they love and also be able to take care of themselves in other ways. So I'm excited about it. I'm also excited about the fact that most people are going to run around, mm-hmm. you know, or drive around and see someone that looks like them. And that's very rare. And although, you know, no one, and I shouldn't say no one, although people, other people may not understand why that's important, me and my people understand why that's important. 
And so I'm very excited to come around the corner and see someone that looks like people that I love, that looks like people in my community, that looks like people I care for, that looks like me. I'm excited about that because we are beautiful. We are gorgeous. We are enthralling and inviting and such a warm people. And I'm excited for people to feel that warmth and feel that love and get that boost for their day and, you know, continue to spread that positive love and that energy between the, the folks who are working and the people who are patronizing our business. I think it's going to be a beautiful um connection. I'm also going to be working with local juicers and local um, folks who are in this industry, you know, who, who know more than I do, who can, you know, I want to partner. I want to continue. It's just that what I talked about, the same thing with Sugar Shack and the marketplace and the continue to build on community. That's the same thing I want to do with the Bikini Barista Center is just continue to connect and build in and with community. Yo, well, I'm very excited for this venture. I'm excited for you. I think you can go international with it. Um, I think oh, Cape Town needs a, yeah. a bikini barista stand. Absolutely. Definitely one owned and run by Goddess Brick House. That would be fantastic. Yes. I'd love to see one yes. of those rolling around my neighborhood. Absolutely. Oh, that's the goal. That's the dream. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful dream. To wrap us up, I'd like to know where we can support and uh, follow the work that you do so we can keep up with all these exciting ventures mm -hmm. that you've got going on. Um, and then also what the rest of 2023 looks like for you. You can follow and support me. My website is msbriqhouse.com. A wonderful way to support me is by scheduling a consultation with me. You know, I am a wellspring of knowledge. And so, folks, I love consulting. That's one of my favorite forms of sex work is sex work consulting and sex industry consulting, sex education consulting. So yeah, support me by, by consulting with me. That is always, always helpful. Also, I have an OnlyFans. So if you're into spicy content and you want to <laughs> see literally more of me, um, you can do that. You can do that on OnlyFans and I'm a goddess brick house. That's G-O-D-D-E-S-S-B-R-I-Q-H-O-U-S-E, goddess brick house. Um, on OnlyFans. I am also Goddess Brickhouse on Instagram, which is for queer. Um, yeah, <laughs> Goddess Brickhouse uh, on Twitter as well. Um, you know, but anywhere that there's a social media on TikTok, while we still got that, I'm under BrickTok, B R I Q T O K. Amazing. So, all those places. Oh, and my favorite place to be found is on PayPal, uh, on Cash App, on Venmo, on any money payment site. Mm, mm. <laughs> and I'm Brick House on all of those. Amazing. Mm -hmm. G O D D E S S. I'm like mm -hmm. thinking that Brick is a goddess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm exactly. like, here comes the remix of the Sasha Kobe song. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> that Brick is I'm a goddess. Absolutely. I am. Oh, and then what's <laughs> happening for 2023? Mm hmm. Oh my goodness. Let the I am know. I am taking care of myself in 2023. <laughs> mm -hmm. I there is a there is a lot that moves through me and comes um comes through me and out of me and that requires a lot of rest and care. These last few years have been really hard on my spirit and my body and um my mind. And so 2023 is going to be about restoration for me and as I restore um more will come. And so I'm excited to see what happens when I tune in and I take care of myself. Um, that is when my creativity flows the most. So I'm really excited to see what, what comes from this time of ritual and care and concern about me and what I've got going on personally. Um, yeah, I, I plan on restoring myself. 
and from there the overflow we'll we'll get some really good shit um mm-hmm. we're gonna be you know definitely doing more with the the, the bikini barista stand I call it my old lady she's my old lady she mm-hmm. needs a lot of work done um I am in no way someone who knows anything about construction or electricity or plumbing or any of those things I am a visionary and so mm-hmm. um I'm going to be needing some help in those realms people who know how to design people who know how to do um branding and marketing I need a team right I need a team I need a team of folks who can really help me take these visions to the next level and i you know i I need the resources or i need the gifts to to Mm -hmm. get that done so i'm i'm going to go within and take care of myself and i believe that my ancestors in the universe will work out the rest and so i am calling towards myself the things that i need to um get some of these dreams up and going and complete and into completion so we'll see what happens i'm along on the ride with the rest of (laughs) y'all but definitely definitely some more things coming on that end, definitely some more things coming on the sex tech end. Um, that sex tech is a huge interest of mine. And I've been doing Ooh. some studying and researching and building. And, um, you know, uh, there could be some patents coming for some products soon. You know, you just never know. I've always, I've always got my hand in a couple of things. So I'm, I'm excited to see what comes from that. And um, definitely just more around my sex educational space and my um, sexual healing through movement spaces and workshops, more of those. Um, I definitely want to do more international teaching and traveling and performing. Um, I really love public speaking and teaching, so I would love to do more of that, hosting. Um, yeah, so, you know, we're going we're gonna to see some things. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. But the thing you're going to see first is, is, is healing. <laughs> I'm going to do that because I can't do, I can't teach it if I'm not doing it. Yeah, I can't yeah. teach it if I can't do it. Yeah. So I'm going to go do the work. I'm going to apply the medicine before I administer it. Well deserved as well. I'm glad to hear that you are taking the time to nourish yourself whilst you're uh-huh. doing that. Um, we're definitely going to be out here trying to get all the resources together that we can steer your way so that we can make all uh-huh. these dreams come true. Because yeah, <laughs> these things need to exist in the world, just like you. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, yeah. thank you. Goddess Brickhouse, I just want to finish off by saying thank you so much. Thank you. It's been three years knocking on your door to try to get this I know, interview. here we are. So here now we, we just got to get me to Cape Town. Now, now we just got to get me to Cape Town. That's it, right? <laughs> I want to come teach and perform in Cape Town. So let that be our next project. That's that's a great project. Also, we, I love can it. we couldn't live more person. further apart from each other. I Seattle know. and I South know. Africa. <laughs> You're like I on the know. top of North America and we're at the bottom <laughs> of Africa. We are the tip of each like continent. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. But we're gonna make it happen. We're gonna make it happen. <laughs> Yo, we made this happen, so duh. Exactly. Anything's possible. I believe it. <laughs> Anything and everything is possible. Um, thank you once again for joining me on yeah and thank you for this work that you're doing thank you for doing this thank you for um bringing so many different voices together and allowing folks to hear this and experience this i think the work that you're doing is incredible and i think that you're incredible and you know you're just yeah you're sweet so i appreciate you and i'm I'm grateful for you and yeah thank you Well, thank you. It's been great cuddling up with you this fine spring morning. (laughs) (laughs) This has been another episode of What's the Tease.